to Real Leadership, the podcast that cuts through the noise to focus on leaders who make, move, and process things in the real economy. Together, we'll discover the strategies and hard-earned lessons from pragmatic, gutsy leaders who operate in a world that is more stake than it is sizzle. Right here, we dive into their stories, challenges, and triumphs to go beneath the surface to the very heart of leadership in the real economy. I'm your host, Jim Weaver, Chief Operating Officer of the Oni Group, where we believe that real leadership does indeed matter. Let's go. Understanding your labor market is crucial for successful recruitment. Onan Staffing's Recruitment Strategy Guide provides insights specific to your geographic location and the positions you're hiring for. Our Recruitment Strategy Guide delivers a clear snapshot of your labor market and actionable intel to tackle market-specific challenges. With Onan's expertise, we help you navigate and win in your competitive landscape. Empower your recruiting process with the insights you need. Learn more about Onan's Recruitment Strategy Guide at onanstaffing.com backward slash strategy. All right. In this episode, we're excited to introduce Rocky Fiore from Prairie Capital Advisors. Rocky joined Prairie in 2000, where he is the managing director and chief operating officer overseeing project teams, business development, and overall firm strategy. With an MBA from DePaul University, Rocky has extensive experience in M&A and financial advisory roles, including with ABN AMREL and Morgan Stanley. Today, Rocky sought after for his expertise in employee stock ownership plans, ESOPs. You know, when we launched Real Leadership, our mission was to shine a light, a spotlight on trailblazers in the light industrial manufacturing and logistics sectors. At first glance, Rocky Fiore might appear to diverge from this path. However, his work closely intersects with these industries by providing potentially transformational support and guidance. This is something we've experienced firsthand at Onan. Rocky's expertise was instrumental in Onan's recent shift to becoming an employee-owned company. So welcome, Rocky. Thanks, Jim. Pleasure to be here with you today and to all the listeners as well. Thank you. Yeah, we're happy to have you. You know, this um, ESOP transition for us has been really exciting, and you guys did such a great job shepherding us through that. And I thought our listeners uh, might be interested to um, to hear about ESOPs, uh, both from a member of an ESOP and then potential business owners thinking about this as a transformational way to um, foster employee ownership mindset and a really creative way to um, transition ownership to the very people that that built the company. Um, so why don't we start with this, Rocky? What is an ESOP? Uh, yeah, great. Um, good question. And we hear a lot of different things about ESOPs, you know, employee stock option programs and things like that. But uh, really, employee stock ownership plan, um, it's a qualified retirement plan. It's an ownership transition vehicle. has a lot of different tax efficiencies uh, that are available not only to the company, but also the selling shareholders. And really, where do ESOPs come into play, right? When, when, when is somebody even thinking about an ESOP? Where do they apply? And I think you could think about an ESOP as an alternative to an, any type of other ownership transition, like a sale of the business to a third mm-hmm. party, 
know, we're all familiar with, uh, you know, somebody who may choose to sell to a competitor, um, some type of strategic yeah. buyers. Uh, there's private equity that's always in a conversation these days. So an ESOP can be a competing transaction with those types of transactions and offer different types of outcomes um, for the seller, obviously for the business themselves, you know, allowing the business to be able to continue operating as is, so to speak, uh, just continue and mm-hmm. remain independent, uh, not be owned or controlled by somebody else, uh, and being able to reward its employees. At the end of the day, an ESOP's a retirement plan, and it's there to provide a benefit for the employees, while at the same time, it can provide liquidity and a sale for the, the owners of the business. So that's, uh, you know, those are attractive yeah. features. Yeah. Talk more about the the types of companies that, you know, and, and actually maybe first, like, tell me more about why an owner would choose that path. What are, expand on that a little bit more. You touched yeah. on a lot, but but double click on that Yeah, a absolutely, more. Jim. So when you think about who or what type of business might be considering an ESOP or might be a good fit for an ESOP, um, typically, they're more mature uh, businesses. They have a steady cash flow stream. Um, size mm-hmm. is an important factor. You know, there's not a. It, yes. it is a, an important factor. Yes, you know, you'd, okay. you'd want to have a business that, and there isn't a hard and fast rule. But if a business has ten employees, probably not going to be a really good ESOP candidate. If it has twenty employees, maybe mm-hmm. an option. Probably not an ESOP candidate. But if you're north of 25, certainly north of 50, you can at least have a conversation if it makes sense for the business. And then once certainly you get into 100, 200 plus employees, it can end up being a very uh, meaningful or a serious potential outcome uh, for transitioning ownership. Yeah, and then, and then just yeah. as far as you know, types of businesses, really all industries are represented in the ESOP space. You mentioned manufacturing, logistics, distribution, construction, uh, business service type uh, uh, industries. Um, And the list really goes on and on. Uh, There isn't really one type of industry that works well for ESOPs. I mean, at the end of the day, you want really just a business that's uh, well-functioning, has a good operating model, has a quality management team, has a predictable level of cash flow, uh, ultimately to be able to support mm-hmm. an ESAP transaction. Yeah. Um, you mentioned being able to keep the uh, leadership structure in place, the business structure in place. And I think maybe that's a, mis- a misperception uh, that uh, the, the owners are kind of just giving it to uh, the employees talk about the mechanics of of that and how how all that works. Yeah, sure. So at the end of the day, um, most ESOP transactions are leveraged, meaning they take on debt and they borrow money from a bank, and the company has an obligation. So the employees themselves are not putting any of their own money. So employees are essentially are beneficiaries of the ESOP, and just like a four hundred one k plan, they are uh, become eligible to be in the plan. So there's eligibility requirements, just like a 401k. But what's an employee is eligible to be in the plan, um, there's really no way to keep that individual or any other eligible employee out of the plan. It's very formulaic in terms of um, how much benefit or how many shares each of those eligible employees receive within the ESOP. We like to call them non-discriminatory plans 
meaning there's nothing mm-hmm. from an employer standpoint you can do to discriminate against any single employee who would otherwise be eligible in the plan from actually receiving a benefit, mm-hmm. which we think is a great thing. Um, they're very democratic in that nature. It's just if you're qualified, you're in the plan, you don't put any money, and you actually do receive shares of the sponsoring ESOP company. Okay. How does the business owner get money out? How is that if if they're not buying sure. shares, then how does the business owner actually get, get yep. money? So that's where the loan from the bank typically comes in. So the company itself will borrow money from a bank, then loan it to the ESOP. The ESOP then has the money to buy shares from the seller, right? So now you have Mm -hmm. the shares that the seller has sold in the ESOP. You have the cash that came in from the bank, right? Now in the seller's hands. And now you have the company having an obligation with the bank to repay that loan, right? And over time, when you pay that debt back, you're doing what? You're creating equity value. The shares that are held in the plan are representative of equity value. So by paying down that debt, you are potentially increasing equity value, creating value for these participants. So if you have a business that's growing and you're paying down debt, you can get some pretty attractive share price increases over time and deliver an extraordinary benefit. By, by the way, statistically, ESOPs deliver two to three times more retirement benefits um, than their non-ESOP counterpart, like a typical 401k wow. plan. Yeah. So, and these are, you know, this has been researched and studied by whether it's a National Center for Employee Ownership, the ESOP Association. There are certain universities that have conducted independent research studies. There's a lot of evidence and data to show that ESOPs deliver a significant amount more retirement benefit than non-ESOP companies. Yeah, I looked at, you know, we, we've, you've given us modeling to look at, and uh, it's pretty impressive what just a regular employee here with a steady progression in their mm-hmm. career and the business having a, a modest growth rate, uh, what it means in 15, 10, 15, 20 years. It's, uh, it's so exciting uh, just thinking about that for, for Yeah, people. and it's not a... I wish we had it when yeah. I started. <laughs> 23 well, years ago. <laughs> yeah, but it's never too late to get started, right? It's something now's better That's than right. nothing at all. Right. And, uh, you know, it's not a get rich quick program. It's meant to provide a meaningful benefit for those that remain loyal and, you know, spend mm-hmm. many years at a company mm-hmm. making contributions and being rewarded for those contributions by participating in equity ownership. So it's a, it's an incredible thing. Um, And you think about it from a societal standpoint and the incredible wealth gap there is, uh, and it continues to be, it's in fact even more exacerbated Mm -hmm. now than it ever has been um, with some of the wealth creation that has occurred over the last number of years and even in the baby boomer population and, you know, those that have not been able to become homeowners and now you're looking at the cost of entry into owning homes and the price of getting a mortgage and things like that. So it's making it even more difficult for people to create wealth, at least younger generation. Mm-hmm. And so the yeah. ESOPs yeah. help to at least solve some of that problem. It's, a, it's not the answer for everything, yeah. but I think it's definitely part of the conversation mm-hmm. and it's doing good work. And, and I, I actually yeah. think it has a lot of legs and momentum and will we'll continue uh, to, to help that situation out. Yeah. What have you seen in terms of... Um 
the psychological impact on the team over the long term or even the short term what what have you noticed with the companies you've you've worked with what have what's been that kind of impact yeah you know there? it's a, it's a bit of a mixed bag and i think you know there's sometimes the impression that uh, you know, if a business owner sells to an ESOP, they put this plan in place and the employees don't have to put any money into it. And if they just stay with the company, they're going to achieve all this potential value down the road. And it's like, hey, what could be better than that? How can you possibly deliver right. more? They don't have to put a dollar of their own money in, but potentially can make tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands and even in some cases more than that uh, over time. Yeah. And so why wouldn't they all just be thrilled and coming in and kumbaya? And, and the truth of the matter is, is um, you know, ESOPs are unique. They're not all that well known. Most employees that uh, become a participant in an ESOP plan are seeing it, potentially even hearing about it for the very first time. So they have no experience, they have no mm -hmm. reference point. They may come in with a certain degree of skepticism. They may feel like there's sure. gonna be a bait and switch uh, along the way, mm -hmm. like, hey, this sounds too good to be true, or equity ownership, mm -hmm. I don't have any ownership in anything else other than maybe my home or my automobile. Uh, this sounds very complex to be an owner of a business. So they don't know what it means. They feel overwhelmed yeah. by it. So I would just say, you know, for those that are uh, have gone down the ESOP path uh, or are planning on venturing it, or even in yourself, Jim, your situation at Onan, uh, just be respectful of the fact that everybody's coming from a different place. Uh, some people may take more time to kind of get on board with the concepts, to learn about it, to become truly invested in it, and to begin to behave like an owner or you'd expect an owner to behave. And I can tell you, you know, there's sure. always going to be naysayers. There's always going to be those folks that are going to challenge it. Um, you know, perhaps they may even be somewhat toxic about it. And uh, but eventually, if you can get those folks to come around, they will in turn become your biggest advocates over time. So your mm -hmm. your biggest skeptics uh, skeptics up front will become your great advocates. Uh, so just give give it some time, take some time to get there, and hopefully the business is doing the work. Right, you've got the internal committees and groups and individuals at 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 every level of the organization that are there learning about it, talking about it, and sharing that knowledge and information, and working from within to, to make sure people have a place they can go to to get information. That, that's a big part of it. Recruiting top talent is tough. Onan Staffing focuses on people, offering exceptional benefits to attract and retain dedicated workers. Partner with us for flexible, data-driven solutions. Visit OnanStaffing.com to learn more. So what is your role, I guess, Prairie, and then your specific, your role in all this, I know what it is, but for our listeners, what is, uh, what's your role in, in setting up ESOPs, getting them, getting them rolling, consulting? Yeah, sure. Those? So, um, you know, Prairie's been in business for over 27 years. Uh, we work in this realm of ownership transition advisory, um, and we do typical M&A sales, right? Private equity and strategic sales. But then we also do ESOPs, which I think is unique for our business in that from a transactional standpoint, we're very agnostic. We, we don't necessarily care um, which path you choose to go other than what's important to us is that you have your options. You understand your options. Yeah. And the analysis has been done, the work's been done so that you can make a decision with a clear conscience and say, hey, this makes the most sense for me, my family, my business. And, and then we're able to be able to uh, support that. 
from a from a procedural standpoint, typically evaluating an ESOP is a, you know a couple month process. You know, it's sharing a lot of information about the business, certainly financial statements, some other organizational uh, information. But we create a valuation for the business. That's a starting point. What's the value of the company mm-hmm. worth? And then we begin to run what we call feasibility models. And that's determining what type of transaction works for the business. Is it a minority transaction where it's 30% of the company will be sold to an ESOP or 10 or 20%, but potentially 50%, potentially 100%. So any one of those scenarios could potentially be an opportunity. So our job is really to vet out what the alternatives may be and what's available to the business owner. And once you can get that full picture, then you can start to refine it. And then they can begin to select within that which makes the most sense. And again, it could be M&A route, but it could be ESOP route. If it's the ESOP route, then we're probably adding another four months onto that timeline. So if you're a couple months doing the analysis and feasibility work, you're probably another four months in addition to that, working with the banks, working with trustees, uh, representing who are representing the employees, by the way. So it's really an arm's length type yeah. transaction. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something uh, one is going to do on their own. That's for sure. You need somebody to quarterback it. It's, you know, it's, it's with the right partner, it's totally feasible and it's been an interesting process, but it's, there are a lot of moving parts. That's for there sure. There are a lot of moving parts. And, uh, you know, I like the word quarterback. We use that word. Um, you know, frequently and just describing our role uh, because there's a lot of players on the field. And our job is to lead the transaction and move it down the football field and, you know, hopefully get it across the goal line if that's ultimately the objective for the business owner. And um, and that's, you know, our, our job is just to, you know, we like saying, you know, we're herding cats, we're getting everybody, uh, you know, kind yeah. of in the position they're supposed to be, providing support wherever is yeah. needed, you know, helping to you know, make sure everybody's on task and doing what they're supposed to do because there there are a lot of things that have to happen in order to get a transaction uh, completed. Yeah, we've touched on a couple of these, but what are some what are some common misperceptions that business owners have about how an ESOP works or what an ESOP is? What do you? You know, into? I think some of the things is uh, you know the, the, the trustee is going to run the business. Um, that's probably one of the biggest things they feel like if they lose control, this idea of I own more than 50%, so I control the entity. And if I sell more than 50%, I, I lose control of the entity. I, I think there's some degree of that, right? If somebody has a controlling interest in the company, ultimately they can, they can do things like elect board of directors that can change the path of the business. But I think from a practical standpoint, you know, an ESOP trustee entering into a transaction, whether it's a minority or a majority ownership of the business, is investing in that business based on the success it has had and the outlook for the business that the management team, the leadership team is, has laid out for them, right? So the ESOP trustee is going to come in on behalf of employees and learn the business. They're going to say, help me understand yeah. why you guys do what you do. Why are you relevant? Why do you compete at the level that you do? And how will you continue to maintain this? The last thing the ESOP trustee uh, would want to do is come in and begin to upend the the uh, leadership team and the strategy of the business. Now, of course, there are some safeguards that are in place, right? So if there were 
bad things happening at the board level or at the management level, you know, the trustee may poke their head and say, hey, what's going on here? But in a general sense, as long as a business is continuing to execute on its strategy, the trustee is there. They're there for eyes and ears for the employees. They're, they're going to stay in touch once or twice a year. They'll get updated financial information. They'll go through the annual uh, valuation process, which is an important part. The business is going to be valued once per year every year after you become an ESOP because mm-hmm. the employees are going to want to get an account statement. There's a federal mandate that says those employees must receive an account statement that says this is the value of their ESOP account, right? So we're going to update the value of those yeah. shares once per year. But but that's a big thing okay. is just control. The other thing is I think in employees, you know, the concern that the employees own the company and therefore they're going to come in and basically tell the management team or the leadership team how the business should be run. Um, you know, this person shouldn't be in that chair, this person. So there's always going to be corporate governance, leadership, management, right, and on and on, just the way any good business would operate. And that doesn't change when you go down the path of an ESAP. Yeah, yeah, okay. When do these programs, like a company that goes through with an ESOP, if they're gonna fail or not work out well what's the setup for an esop kind of flopping in your experience yeah so um you know we like to say that you know if you have a bad company and you put an esop in you have a bad company with an esop so the esop is not an operational vehicle it doesn't solve your strategic challenges you know in the most ideal circumstance an esop may make the employee group more productive it may uh, help mm-hmm. the employees uh, be more engaged in the business. That may result in less turnover, right? All of those things could be a net positive to the ESOP uh, and to the company. But at the end of the day, it doesn't help the business run well. And so if the business is struggling from a strategic or an execution standpoint, or it's losing its competitive advantage, um, if the ESOP transaction just occurred and there's debt on a balance sheet, yeah, there could be, you know, challenges. They, that could be something that, you know, becomes an issue with the bank. It could be restructuring debt at that point. Um, thankfully, mm-hmm. we've seen very, very few circumstances of, you know, a company becoming insolvent uh, or having to uh, go down the path of bankruptcy or just winding down operations. But uh, a lot of times, yeah. again, it's not the ESOP's fault. It's more of just the business was not able to stay ahead of its competition. And, you know, as you say, if you're not growing, you're dying. And, uh, and, and so, yeah. you know, it's, a, it's really incumbent upon the management team, the leadership team to execute on the business strategy and make sure they're doing the things that are necessary to continue to remain relevant as a business. Yeah. Why do your customers pick Prairie, pick you uh, over... The competitors. Why do you think they go with you? You, you know, um, it's it's. Uh, there, I mean, there's a lot of things there. I, I think you know we have an incredible history. We have an incredible client base that we can look back to and draw our experiences from. Um, I think we we really take the time to be patient and understanding up front. Um, we're not really in a business looking, although we're in a transaction advisory business, we never behave like we're just trying to get somebody to do a transaction. We really take Mm -hmm. the time to understand what the motivations are, what's driving them to make a decision, really laying out the options, and always being patient and thinking about the client first and any uh, of the uh, advice and decision 
uh, making that, you know, we're kind of involved in helping them get to a point where, hey, you know, I need to do this, that, or the other thing. So I think our patience is a big part of it. Our, our team environment, you know, we, uh, we have a, uh, you know, typically three, four people on any engagement team. We always encourage the client to get to know everybody on their team. Um, our, many of our clients are going to conferences that we attend. We, 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 we are sending many, many of our professionals. We encourage our clients and even our professionals to get out and visit with our clients. So we really try and institutionalize the relationship. We try and make it more about our business as a whole and our philosophy than it is about just any one person and, uh, and their ideas. Obviously, we're a people business. That's important. It's critical. We have to have smart people. We have to have highly engaged people yeah. that are developing those relationships. But institutionally, we try to provide a lot of additional value. And we do things like webinars. Um, you may have seen some of the webinars that we host almost on a monthly basis. And they're free for any of our clients or prospects or business partners to join. And uh, they can consume some of our information. They can get some of our education materials in a non-threatening way. You know, they don't have to sit down and meet with us face-to-face. They don't have to fly out and go somewhere or us fly out. They can just sit back, the comfort of their own home or office, and, 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 and consume some of the information that we have to share. And they can follow up as they see fit. Yeah. Yeah. Let's pivot to uh, your leadership a little bit. Not only are you a uh, an ESOP expert, but you're you're a leader. We were uh, it's NFL playoff uh, time right now, and we were before we started rolling. We were talking about the Detroit Lions and and uh, Dan Campbell. Unfortunately, they for them they lost to the uh, San Francisco 49ers. but that team had quite a turnaround and. You know, since Dan Campbell took over, what what do you think is going on there? You know, I've um, I've just been so fascinated with what's happened in Detroit, and I've been so impressed with what Dan has been able to do and accomplish in the time he's been there. You know, he came in as head coach, and I believe it was the beginning of 2021. Like they hired him in January of 2021, mm-hmm. and Detroit was always kind of the bottom feeder in in their division. And with the Green Bay Packers and Minnesota Vikings, and you know it was you know, and I'm a Chicago Bear fan, unfortunately, but um, but it was mm-hmm. between Chicago and Detroit. It seemed like we were always kind of sitting at the bottom of the division, and they were never really taken too seriously. And and in 2020, I believe they came off of a five and eleven season, and uh, and mm-hmm. Dan had uh, had had come in in January of 2021, and the first season he took over. Um, they were three thirteen and one, so they actually took a step back, and that was in twenty twenty one. In twenty twenty two, they started the season one and six. So, and he was on a hot seat. There was a lot of chatter about Dan Campbell yeah. was, you know, he was on a hot seat and he was he was going to lose his job as head coach. And something clicked. I don't know exactly what it was, um, but the team ended up winning eight of their last ten games. Uh, their season finale was against the Green Bay Packers in Green Bay. They yeah. won that game, yeah. and they knocked the Packers out of the playoff in doing so. Yeah. And they had a winning season finishing 9-8. and eight. Okay, And now they come back this year, and uh, you know they kind of like the rest is history, right? They have this in- incredible season. Um, I don't know what they finished, 13-5 and five or 12-5, and five, I think, um, was their final yeah. record. And then they win I think so. against the Rams and the wild card round one of the playoffs. And then the second round they played, I believe, 
Tampa Bay and they beat them and you know anybody that watched the game on Sunday night against San Francisco they they probably should have won that game um it was yeah. a comedy yeah. of unlikely occurrences that uh, had happened in the second half you know some some might criticize Dan uh, for some of the play calling there's a lot of comments about you know hey should have taken a point should have taken field goals or whatever mm -hmm. uh, given the circumstance and in hindsight and and he's admitted to this hey I'm going to be criticized for that and uh, that that's part of the gig but um but the truth of the matter is and what I appreciate about him and that whole leadership style is he remained authentic he remained true to form he's been a risk taker he had taken uh, more fourth down chances going it for it on fourth down than any other team this entire year so given that um, they were playing for a chance to get to the Super Bowl and it would have been the only time in Detroit's entire history as an organization of ever going to the Super Bowl so with everything on the yeah. line um, he did exactly what he'd always done and he was willing to take the risk so I think from a leadership standpoint you know that that consistency that reliability that that predictability from his team standpoint is saying, hey, this is the same guy we've gotten to know. When the pressure was on, he didn't crumble. He didn't start making different types of decisions based on what's always made mm -hmm. us successful. Now, he could have, you know, had that gone a different way, had made one of those first downs or had some of the other funny plays not played out the way they did, this conversation would be entirely different or at least people's view yeah. of Dan and how he was coaching during that game might, might be totally different. But, you know, if you go back from the very beginning, when Dan interviewed for the job, the first words he said in the interview was, were, I want this job. Those were the first words that came yeah. out, and he did it over Zoom um, in his first meeting. And so it left a very big impression on the organization because he had a history there. He played in the town. He was a tight end there. Um, he knew the organization. He knew the ownership. He knew the fan base. And so when he went into that interview, he said, this is the job for me. We're about ready to make a change. I feel it come in. Like he said, all those things. So I just think it's, it's very cool. Yeah. So how do you think about when it's time to pivot? You know, in, in retrospect, Dan, it's funny. I had, we have a guy from Detroit, one of our VPs here. I've met with him first thing Monday morning. You know, we, were, we had to start with the football conversation. He's like, ah, you should have kicked the field goals. When, when do you think about, uh, I, I'm with you on, on sticking to your guns and staying true, and uh, when is the right time to, to pivot, do you think? How do you think so, about that? So, you know, I've thought a lot about that game and kind of like what I would have done in that situation. And I, and I would just say um, the only thing you might, or you know, I might have thought differently about is just that whole idea of situational awareness, right? So... You know, sure, he had taken more fourth down um, tries than anybody else in the league going into that situation. But were they all uh, at the same level? Were they in a fourth quarter? Were they with a chance to tie the game? Were they at a point where they had a makeable field goal, right? So there, there are circumstances there where he said, is this, you know, you, were, you might have stopped or paused and said, is this a risk too big to be taking given the situation um, and given mm -hmm. the opportunity mm -hmm. we have, right? What's the opportunity cost now, right? We're missing a chance to potentially tie this game, put our defense on the field, which in the first half, they looked outstanding. So, but that's in business yeah. too, right? You make decisions every day. Things come at you from all different directions. And a decision you may make in one type of situation may be different in another. 
And again, it's just uh, just being aware of what the environment and what's at stake. Facing sudden growth or limited by traditional financing? Momentum Capital Funding empowers businesses with real-time cash flow through AR Factory. Get the funding you need and fuel your success. Visit MomentumCapitalFunding.com to learn more. You've been, you've been at it for a while, like me, um, business-wise, leadership-wise. So how has your approach to leadership changed uh, over the years? How, how are you different than you were 15, 20 years ago in terms of your approach? Well, you know, I would say fit, yeah, you? Fit 15, 20 years ago, you know, you, first of all, Prairie was a lot smaller of a place um, than we are now. You know, we have seven, eight offices. We have so many incredible professionals uh, that contribute in so many different ways. We have different service lines and businesses. So, you know, 15, 20 years ago, we were a lot smaller. Um, you know, I was a lot more hands-on in a lot of things that I were doing, I was doing. And I, I think in in today's world, I'm relying so much more on the team, I'm providing so much support for them. I'm really looking at them and trying to figure out, hey, you know, you've got such incredibly talented individuals how do you allow them an opportunity to do the best work that they can do? How, how do you allow them to contribute in the greatest way that they're able to and to reach the potential goals that, that they have, right? So a lot of the time is really spent trying to understand the individuals, um, helping them uh, conquer the battles and the challenges that they're facing. So it's just more the perspective is different. You know, it's just a, it's it's less about me and what I'm doing and more about them and what they're doing and what I can do to be able to support that. Yeah. Yeah. How has, uh, the, the interest rate environment affected M and a ESOPs? Um, what do you see over the next few years? Cause you're, you've been around long enough to have been in a higher interest rate environment. Uh, and then we've had golly 50, 15 years of really cheap yep. money <laughs> at yep. least. Right. Uh, and now we're back to, Oh, it actually, we have to think about, uh, dad. Um, how, how have you think, seen things changed and what do you think is coming over the next five yeah, years? You know, it's, it's been, um, surprisingly very good. Uh, the market continues mm. to be extremely resilient. Um, and, and what we hear on the street is, you know, the transactional environments continues to remain, pretty healthy. Now, obviously, private equity, because the the majority, if not all the deals that they get involved with, have a very uh, substantial level of, of debt. Um, and that's how it, they can achieve uh, the, the returns on their investments. And so their, their return models um, change substantially when the cost of debt increases at the level they have. And then you combine that with the fact that valuations still look pretty high these days. We're seeing stock markets trading at near all-time highs, or if not at yeah. all-time highs. Um, and, and, and then you look at that alongside, you know, the potential talk of the market pulling back, you know, whether it's the second half of next year, mild recession, soft mm -hmm. landing, those kind of things. So there's just uncertainty on the horizon. And so I think in a private equity community, you know, things have, have maybe taken, I wouldn't say necessarily a pause, but slow down, uh, maybe a little more time, uh, being a little more patient, being a little more selective, going after certain opportunities, maybe eliminating certain industries, uh, you know, that, yeah. that, that they may view as being somewhat of a challenge in a current environment. So th those type of things. But by and large, I, I think it's been 
better than most people were expecting. And if we can get any re- rate relief coming in, you know, I think the earliest I, I've been hearing from some some economists are that, uh, you know, May may be the first time the Fed starts pulling back on rates, but certainly the second half of this year, potentially leading into uh, 2025. And that that's going to, I think, be a big impetus for a lot of deals that are maybe just sputtering along to come back on online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. I appreciate the insight. Um, how can folks get in touch with you, find out more uh, about you, about uh, Prairie? Yeah, sure. What's yeah, the sure. Uh, they can reach me at uh, email is rfiore, that's R-F-I-O-R-E at prairiecap.com. That's P-R-A- I-R-I-E-C-A-P dot com or on my phone, which is 630-413-5575. Okay, we'll put that in the in the show notes and uh, we'll put your LinkedIn profile uh, in there as well and uh, then the company website so folks can, can track you down. You've, you've done a great job for us and I appreciate you coming on and uh, helping us understand the ESOP landscape a little bit better. Jim, today. this has been awesome. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's been great talking to you. Best of luck to you and your team as you go on your ESOP journey. And uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing all your successes in the future as well. Thanks, Rocky. Okay, until next time, keep it real. Thank you for listening. This podcast was powered by Oni a family of staffing companies providing real staffing solutions to manufacturing, logistics, and food processing companies across the United States of America. To get in touch or learn more about partnering with an Oni Group company, visit us at www.onigroup.com. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time.